Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast. I'm Kristen Roberts, head of news at McClatchy, and thank goodness Alex Rorty is back from the trail and ready to cast this pod. Hello, Alex. Kristen, it's wonderful to be back. The trail is not exactly how I remembered it. There's a little bit less going on. There's a little bit less action. There are a lot more masks, but it was still good to be out there. Awesome. Let's also welcome back to the show our colleague Dave Cadenes, himself fresh from the campaign trail, but he was in the southwestern battleground state of Arizona. Dave, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, where it was 100 degrees, so I got a little sun-kissed. Last bit of summer, I guess, before we get into winter here in D.C. Well, you look like you used sunblock pretty well. Yeah, I hope so. All right, you're okay. So we here at Beyond the Bubble have been spending the final weeks of this 2020 election diving into the state of the race in the actual states that we think will matter. And our aim has been to understand how these campaigns are playing out on the ground. As part of this quest, Dave went to, as we just said, beautiful Arizona. And this is the land, you should all remember, of Barry Goldwater and of John McCain. And it has been a state that has been reliably Republican for literally decades. I'm talking about with the exception of FDR, Harry Truman, and the Clinton-Gore ticket. Republicans have been able to rely on Arizona for 100 years. And that's why the state's movement away from Trump is so noteworthy in 2020. It's demographics. It's also a distaste for this president. So let's start. And I'm going to you first, Alex. Give us the state of the play. What do the polls say? Well, I think the polls in Arizona show what they show in a lot of battleground states right now, where Joe Biden has a a small but comfortable lead. Uh, Monmouth University, which is releasing a poll at 11 a.m. this morning, showed Joe Biden up six points um, with registered voters, 50 percent to 44 percent. That 50 percent number is key because you see that in a lot of the battleground state polling where the former vice president isn't just leading Donald Trump, he is at or near 50%. And that's you know important for a lot of obvious reasons. It also suggests that if there is late movement among undecided voters or people who currently say that they're gonna support a third party candidate, that it might not be enough to topple Joe Biden if he's at 49, 50%. And of course, there's no guarantee that all those undecided voters break Donald Trump's way. And, and I should say, again, if you look at that Monmouth poll, that's a two-point increase for Joe Biden uh, since the last survey taken, I think, about a month ago from Monmouth in, in the state. And we've also seen this in the last couple of weeks, I really think, since the debate, where Biden's lead was was comfortable you know, after the summer, heading into Labor Day. But it seems like he's increasing it. You know, it's, Maybe it's just a couple of points, but it, it's not as if... Joe Biden's uh, advantage here is slipping. In fact, it really does seem like it's it's growing. And this is a sizable swing in the state. You mentioned it's been reliably Republican on the presidential level for decades. This is a state that swung toward Democrats, even as Trump was winning it by four and a half points. Um, this is a state that, of course, was a blowout for, for John McCain and, and Mitt Romney and appears to have swung yet again toward Democrats because, uh, you know, again, you know, as we've often discussed with Arizona, the demographics there are favorable for Democrats, not only the Latino population, but really the sort of Trump era component of a lot of Republican, suburban, former Republican, I should say, suburban white voters in the Phoenix area who used to be reliably Republican, now voting Democrat in the, in the Trump era. And it's really a, a sort of a toxic demographic mix for, for Republicans there 
at this point in time. So, Dave, that's what the polls say. Do the lawn signs on the ground in Arizona agree? No, but they don't vote, and we shouldn't put too much into them. Having spent time there, there's still a core Trump base that is vocal and active. The Trump banners outnumber the Biden signs, but there are more Biden signs. And I went out door knocking with a veterans group for four hours. They were knocking on Republican doors and having conversations. And I think one of the things that's underplayed in Arizona is the amount of grassroots work that has gone on since 2016 from a myriad of small groups, whether it be Hispanic groups, whether it be social justice groups, whether it be this veterans group that use veterans to talk to people about why they should move away from the Republican Party. It's all pretty small, but collectively, uh, I think it has made a difference. I think you saw it make a difference in the 2018 Senate race where Kirsten Sinema won very narrowly. And now you have Joe Biden up by about four points. There's actually new polling out this morning by OH Predictive, an Arizona pollster, a Republican pollster, that has Joe Biden up by four points. And that is in line with where the Biden campaign sees the race, three to four points. That is where they've seen it for weeks and weeks in Arizona. And now we can look look at actual votes that are coming in. About 191,000 people have already voted in Arizona. They're, They're in their first week of the early vote. And it's now we don't know who they voted for, but Democrats have a 15 point lead over Republicans on who is returning their ballots. Now, we know that's what's expected, but it is still the largest early lead that Democrats have ever seen. So they're pretty excited about it. Go ahead, Alex. Jump well, in. I was, I was going to say, and there's a special circumstance, too, in Arizona in this particular election in that the wife of the late Senator John McCain, Cindy McCain, has yeah. become a forceful forceful supporter of Joe Biden when I was watching the NFL this past weekend. She was the ad that kept appearing from the Biden campaign, extolling his virtues, telling former Republicans and independents to, to vote for him. You also have the former Senator Jeff Flake has endorsed Joe Biden and been a strong supporter of his. And maybe that, you know, a lot of Republicans, of course, <laughs> are tooting out Jeff Flake at this point. But don't forget that the state also has a sizable Mormon population who might be more receptive. That message who Donald Trump has struggled with. He struggled with in 2016. And there are signs that he's doing better, but still, you know, not hitting the numbers, of course, that Mitt Romney or even John McCain um, had hit in previous elections. So you do have this special element in Arizona this election, I feel like, that, you know, could be worth Maybe a, maybe a half a point, maybe a point. But again, this is a, a state that was going to be very close. Those kind of numbers really can matter. So, Dave, dig into the map a little bit and help listeners understand where Trump might be in trouble. So Maricopa County is pretty much the whole pie. <laughs> That's why Arizona is sort of easy to go into. It's Phoenix. It's the fourth largest county in the country. But it's Phoenix suburbs and all the big cities, Mesa, Scottsdale, Tempe. I think it's 10 of the top most populated cities are in Maricopa County. So it's rare to lose Maricopa County and and then be able to win the whole state. It's happened one time, a down-ballot candidate, a Republican candidate for superintendent of public instruction did it in 2014. Otherwise, it never happens. You have to win Maricopa County to win. And that's where Biden's lead is. It's not huge, but it's about three to four points. Another thing that's interesting that pollsters are flagging to me when I was out there is that in 2016, the Latino vote was about 15% in Arizona. They believe it could reach 20% or more. Now, 
That's not all Biden votes. We know Trump is performing a little bit better, but he's getting, you know, three out of four of them. With Hispanic men in particular. Hispanics. I've read that somewhere, yes. But I mean, so I looked at the poll this morning. Here's the problem. Trump is winning men. He's winning men by four points, not by enough. He's losing women by 14. So you got the Hispanic factor, and then you've got sort of, I mean, I hate to put them in this category, but suburban. I was in northern Phoenix where there's a lot of crossover voters, wealthier areas, higher income. And I was at a voting center and I don't know, I probably talked to like eight to 10 voters. Every woman coming out I spoke to was voting for Biden. The men would either not tell me who they were voting for or say they were for Trump. Not obviously a scientific sample, but every woman was like, and they were adamant about it. And then one 70 year old woman who reminded me of my mother said, if Trump wins, I'm marching in the streets. I'm not going to get violent, but I'm so mad. I mean, the 14-point gender gap there is just something I can't underline enough because guess what? There are more women than men. That's just the, the bottom line number. So Trump can't win if he's getting killed by women by double digits. He can win if he improves on it, but he can't lose by 14 points. It, it seems the present is also female. Too. It's not just the future uh, that's that's right. female in this in this country. I, I, you know, and Dave, you've written about this well, too, but it's not I just mean, they, you know Kamala's <laughs> the there. And then it's female. You are. What are you? Are you trying that's to? That's very like, woke. It's very you, woke. What did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I can't. Jeremy, we, we might. Jeremy, we might have you edit that part out. Anthropology or something. We might. We might have you edit that part out, Jeremy. However, however, there is an actual point I wanted to make here, and Dave has actually written about this a lot this this election, but it's. Just to, to, to add some detail, I mean, it's not, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about college educated women, and that has been just a, a, a horror show for the GOP in the Trump era, that that demographic has swung so hard against them, swung so strongly in favor of, of Democrats. Uh, this is an electorate. A demographic, by the way, of white college educated women that was voting Republican as recently as Mitt Romney, you know, and now they're, they're practically two to one in, in favor of, 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 of Democrats. But it's not just that, right, Dave? I mean, and, and I'm wondering if your reporting picked up on this in Arizona too, but it is also um, working class white women as well who have been a real subject of interest from both sides for, for four years as a potential major swing demographic. But there are some signs they too have moved in Democrats' favors, maybe not as much as college educated women, of course, and that Trump still winning them overall. But of course, it's all on, it's all on the margins and it's all relative to what happened in 2016. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a narrower. I mean, Trump does still have that blue collar working class base. I mean, if you go to his rallies, that's those are his people. They are going to be with him. The problem, though, is that that's a shrinking base, sort of the white working class. base. I mean, more people are just getting college degrees. I mean, just given our society that it sort of requires it to get in to, to make you know, a higher income. So he's got to expand. I mean, I talked to Republicans. I'm like, how does he do this? How does he come back in Arizona? What's the scenario? And they say like, look, Maricopa looks tough. He's got to go outside and do what he did in the Michigan and Wisconsin, right? If you go outside of Maricopa, to like to Pinal County, which is a rural county, probably the most highly populated rural county. Trump can't just win it by 60. He's got to get 70 this time, right? He's going to win that county. But he's got to grab more people that are non-voters or, or don't participate. And that's going to be the challenge. Are these people going to come out this time for him? He's not a novelty this time, right? I mean, part of it last time was he's this new businessman. He says all this controversial stuff. You know, this is interesting. We don't like Hillary. We're coming out. This time, like, there's a record. 
People are leery about it. So the math is going to be difficult. And frankly, you go into a state like Arizona, you go in the rural areas, it's very much like a Michigan or Wisconsin. Can he expand that rural base? There's a lot of skepticism, at least in Arizona, that he can do it there. So that's a lot of talk about Trump. But what is Joe Biden and his team in Arizona doing that Clinton failed to do? Mm, You know, I would be lying if I said I saw a huge Biden presence talking to their campaign. I think they are they're lucky that the groundwork that's been done by all these other campaigns are going on. They're not going door to door in Arizona. You know, they've picked some states where they're doing it very targeted, Nevada, New Hampshire. They, they weren't doing it in Arizona. There were other groups that were doing it, Hispanic groups and the vets groups. And I think they're benefiting from that work. This might sound like a cop-out answer, but I just think like Biden being Biden might be good enough. I don't think he's running a revolutionary campaign. It's not some, you know, game out strategy that they were able to carve out a four-point advantage. It's demographics. And as you said in the open, distaste for the president. I mean, if, if Trump would have handled COVID better and not tweeted so much, I heard that on the doors repeatedly really? from even Trump voters, just stop the tweeting. Like, I like your economy. I like your tax cuts. Just, but like, can you not pick a fight with John McCain every day? If He might be in a lot better shape there. So I think Biden is less relevant. Frankly, you could probably apply this to a lot of states, but particularly in Arizona, like there's not there's not troops on the ground for Biden. There's not a huge, huge presence. We've said the name McCain three times in like what 14 and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Is, is this something that we think about from outside of Arizona or is it actually relevant in the state, Dave? So I had drinks with a person who works in the business community in Arizona and he said it matters to them. You know, they're, the Trump voters don't like McCain, so it doesn't matter to them. They're fine with Trump kicking McCain around. They didn't like him when he was there. But the first time reporting trip I ever made to Arizona was 2010, 10 years ago for another publication. When I covered the primary there, G.D. Hayworth was primarying John McCain because he wasn't conservative enough. And that's what the whole race was about, about who is to run to the right, who, who can be more conservative. The general election didn't matter. Now the sort of the opposite thing has happened, right? You have to be moderate to win the prime. You can't be a left winger or right winger in Arizona. What this business guy told me is like, look, our, if you're in the business community, you liked McCain. You thought he was represented us well. He's a national hero. He was the presidential nominee. And we don't like the Trump kicks him around. Like it bothers us. So I think with money, the moneyed people, the higher end Republican, sort of moderate country club Republican, to use a cliche. It does matter to them. If I could just piggyback on, on two points Dave has is, is, is made here. I mean, for one, I think it's taken as an article of faith among Democrats and some anti-Trump Republicans I speak to that if Donald Trump had just said, wear a mask and like cut back on the daily press briefings, the onset of the pandemic, that he might be winning this race by five points right now nationally and, and in all the battleground states, that he had this enormous missed opportunity to, to not only not hurt himself, as we've seen in the subsequent months, but to actually actively rebuild his support among a lot of former supporters and a lot of more moderate voters who had really started to trend against him um, over, over the spring. Look, if you want to go back to the one key moment of this campaign, I think that's kind of the obvious place to go. I'll also just say, as far as presence in the state, uh, you know, I was in North Carolina, as you mentioned last week, Kristen, and I was at this 
it's not even a campaign headquarters opening in Raleigh, right? Now, Raleigh, this is North Carolina. This should be ground zero for any kind of Biden operation in the battleground states. This was less than a month before the campaign. They were opening not a campaign headquarters, but a, what they're calling supply depots. Literally, it's just a place on the inside where it's just all concrete. There's no decoration. They just have, that's where they're storing. All the signs. That's where they're storing right. all Yard the signs, signs or T-shirts or buttons. And did I remember. Did you get me a button? I did, actually. Yes. Um, it's, it's somewhere here in the, the clutter, the clutter of my home. But I, I remember thinking, because again, this is less than a month before the campaign. They had a, you know, a handful of congressional candidates and local state senators speaking, and there were maybe a dozen people gathered. And all I could think was in normal times, in normal times, this would be like the anecdotal lead of a story I was writing about how the Biden campaign was screwed, right? Like that there is no enthusiasm, that the operation is way behind. Field is overrated. Yeah, right. Field yeah, I mean, is over. That's what this cycle has proven. Remember Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> best field game, and Cory Booker. We're, I mean, we're never, we're never writing another story about the Northwest <laughs> field director in Iowa for whoever. I mean, we will write it. You will well, write it. Dang it! Stop but, writing that darn story. But you're yeah. right. <laughs> Can I just mention one more thing about the Biden operation, though? Because sure. I know Christian asked this, and I'm now it's coming to me that I should mention. Okay. Mark Kelly is probably the best Senate recruit for Democrats in the entire country. He is most likely going to win and be the next senator from Arizona. So the Biden campaign has piggyback off of him. I did see a lot of infrastructure for him. Like he has had offices in that state for two years, former astronaut, married to Gabby Giffords. I know, I mean, the Biden operation didn't hire staff in Arizona till like July. That's like incredibly late for presidential campaign. I did some previous reporting on that, that there was some grumbling like, hey, why don't we have people in the state? But because they had this party infrastructure that was building up based on a Senate candidate who was raising a ton of money, even before all these other Senate candidates were raising like $25 million a quarter, Mark Kelly was doing that early. So he had money and the Biden campaign sort of came in kind of the reverse. It's usually the opposite, right? But you had a presidential candidate and campaign coming in and sort of layering on top of the Senate candidate and using that outreach. And I think that was beneficial and has been beneficial to Biden. As a super good note. What do you got, Alex? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, we should we should also point out, no, they don't have a ground game. But what they do have is just an immense, unimaginable amount of money right now. You know, they, they you know, reported raising something like $350 million plus in September alone. They had more than $400 million on hand. And that's, you know, and so the one thing that you're going to get is just a, an incredible number of TV ads. And digital ads and radio ads. Our, our colleague Adam Walner wrote um, a very smart story last week. I think the Biden campaign is outspending Trump on radio fifty to one. That's right. Right now, you know, I wrote yesterday. I mean, literally, Democrats have so much money right now that yeah. the DNC is purchasing ads on gas station TVs. I don't know if you ever if you ever fill <laughs> up. You know, and there's like a little yeah, TV at sheets. I look at those. I look at those I'm too, like, actually. I'm like, what else am I doing here? <laughs> exactly. You're not I supposed to have your things. phone out, you know, I when you pump gas. I really don't. I'm like, screw you. I can't have advertising <laughs> everywhere in my life. <laughs> they're doing like, they're, they're buying billboards. They're doing like aerial banners. They're literally hiring people to chalk in GeoTV messages on city sidewalks right now because they literally, they have more money than they know what to do with. That's that's where we're at with the Biden campaign. So, you, no, I mean, they don't have the infrastructure, but look, <laughs> ads on TV, digital, radio, whatever. It does matter a lot. 
it, it does matter a lot. And it's been a huge, huge challenge for Donald Trump this way. And it, it makes me wonder too. So it's obviously all the, the spending is concentrated in battleground states. We have talked about this electoral college advantage that Trump has. And this, and I'm wondering, look, again, if he's being so heavily outspent in these states, other people have pontificated about this on Twitter, but I think it's a smart point. Maybe that electoral advantage closes, you know, maybe, maybe the, the gap between the national vote and say the vote in Wisconsin is going to close if, you know, people are seeing three Joe Biden ads for every one Donald Trump ad in Milwaukee right now. All right. With that, we're going to move on to the second and last part of this show where you guys get to tell our listeners something they don't already know. And Dave, you've been tapping into that notebook from Arizona with lots of goodies. And I'm wondering if you have anything left. So this is more of a national perspective, but the newest tallies of the amount of people that have voted are are in. It's every morning. It's Michael McDonald, this great Florida professor that puts it out. And I love reading through it. And today we have 17 million votes cast. And to me, what's striking is that 25% 25% of the vote in 2016 is already in in Wisconsin and Michigan. Two of the most important states, 22% of it is already in Florida. If you talk to Michael McDonald, he says he's projecting 150 million votes and that we'll have indications of that by the last week before we get to early voting. All right. And so Democrats are going to have this huge lead, I think, going into Election Day. And then we know Trump's voters vote on Election Day. And the, and the question is, you know, we're all going to be waiting. Can they make it up on Election Day, which God knows what else happens, given what's gone on this year? That's sort of what I'm looking at every, every week. But I just think the number of votes that are already banked in these states mean that town halls and things that are going to happen, the debate that may or may happen next week, just have less value because more of the votes are in. Alex, you're up. I would just say real, real quick. I mean, the nightmare scenario for the GOP is that they have to make up all these votes on Election Day but there are major COVID outbreaks in some of the areas and that people are going to have to stand in line. Anyway, we can, we can talk about that on next week's show. I would just say, uh, for, for mine, a detail I received from Nick Gorbich, a very smart Democratic pollster who has done a lot of work, thousands and thousands of interviews for his polls around the, the COVID crisis and the public's response to, to Donald Trump and how he's handled it. Really interesting stat, I thought. He boiled it down for me. People who approve of Trump on the economy, but disapprove of his handling, not just of the pandemic, but of his response to the George Floyd protest. In that group, this is about 5% of the total electorate, Joe Biden leads 60% to 25%. That is a 35-point gap, and I think it strikes to the heart of this question of whether or not what matters in this election. Is it the economy or is it the pandemic? You know, those things obviously overlap. But this detail, again, 60% to 25%, would suggest that when those two things are at odds, people are more likely to see the pandemic. And again, the George Floyd protest as more important to their overall vote. I thought that was a a kind of an astounding stat. Wow, Alex, you win the day. That's amazing. Thank you, Nick. You're listening, Nick. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you to Dave and thank you to Alex. And thank you to our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and our executive producer, Davin Coburn. And of course, thank you to our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you're using. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. Talk to you next week.